Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, if you want to make sense of life, it is crucial that you go back to the very beginning. Because there's some really, really key things that you have to understand to make sense of life. Now, when you talk about going to the beginning and making sense of things, anybody besides me, if you're married here or if you observe married couples ever notice that we're just always different from each other? Anybody besides me? Yeah, yeah? My wife just raised her hand real high, so I'm going to talk about my wife (coughs) for a little bit. We have an entirely different strategy when it comes to watching a movie. And probably not the whole movie, but part of it. Because if we decide, hey, we may watch a movie, we finally figure out a movie. That always is a, you know, thing. But we figure out a movie, watch, and so I get get it all ready, and then I'm ready to start. she says, oh, go ahead and start it. Because she's got something she's finishing up in the kitchen or she has to go down the hall. And says, go ahead and start it. It's okay, go ahead and start it. I'm like, you can't, st- you can't, you gotta see the start of the movie, right? Because I know what'll happen. <laughs> Halfway through the movie, she'll say, this doesn't, I don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> Not always true. She really does a pretty good job of figuring all that out without seeing the beginning. <laughs> To me, that's like, like not reading the first chapter of the book. Yeah. So, you know, same thing happens when we, we go to the movie theater, which doesn't happen very often, once in a great while, but we go, and it says it starts at this time. Well, I want to be there at that time. She says, oh, they got like 10, 15 minutes of previews, right? Doesn't matter. We don't need to get there. But I'm always worried, right, that I'm going to miss the first 30 seconds of the movie and won't understand. So... When it comes to watching movies, it really doesn't matter. Because two hours later it's done and right, life goes on. But when it comes to life, the, the things that matter in life, the decisions that we have to make, the relationships that we have to that we are in and need to, to grow and cultivate, the, the world that we have to interact with. That's something that you need to understand the beginning. Make sure you know the beginning and understand what it means in order to make sense of the rest of this. Or you'll have a big, big problem. Um, so we're beginning this sermon series that, that life makes more sense when you start in the beginning. We're going to be looking in the first three chapters of Genesis. And so let's take our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 1. If you're using a Bible that's in, under the chairs there, pick it up and turn to guess what page? One. one. And you have to get past, you know, the table of contents and all that kind of stuff, but page one. And it starts like this. I mean, I, I, we wouldn't have had to turn to it. I could have asked you and you would have known it. But it starts like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it continues and talks about how he created everything. 
But in the beginning, what? God. In the beginning, God. And this is crucial, this, this concept, in the beginning God, is the only sufficient foundation for everything else that matters. Anything that matters in life, the only sufficient foundation is that we start with God and go from there. And so this is written in an account about creation, but really it's at the beginning of the book, it's the beginning of everything as far as what we know and experience, right? And, and I mean, even the, the creation in which we live, it is the very beginning. But we can also come to in our lives to live in such a way that our lives reflect that in the beginning, God. So that it affects all of our thoughts, all of our beliefs, affects all of our actions, what we do, how we do it, why we do it. Because in the beginning, God. Now, obviously there are people who will say there is no God and that seems, at least on the surveys that are taken these days, the polls, that that is a growing number of people. And whether it's as growing, the number's actually growing, or whether people feel more free to say so, I don't know. But nonetheless, there are plenty of people who say there is no God. And, and they run into all sorts of problems trying to explain the world, making sense of life. And the only way you can try to make sense of life if you do not start within the beginning God, and you just, you ignore that, you have to ignore lots of other things along the way. Because here's the reality. If there's no God, there's also no other things, certain other things, okay? In other words, we're saying if, if, if the, the, all that exists is a material universe, and by that we mean, you know, the, the, um, the matter, the, the uh, the particles, the atoms, the molecules, the, the, then you have all the, the chemistry and the biochemistry, all that. It's, it's all materialistic, it's random chance, how what happens, you know, random chance, everything has just evolved from that. Uh, first of all, totally illogical. I just, uh, I'm not here to, to do a philosophy lesson, I'm here to preach the word, okay? But I just want you to know that it, you just can't get there where they want to get. Okay, uh, but so that's what we're co contrasting this to. If you want to say that, then you have to ignore lots of other things along the way. But so here, if there is no God, there's also no objective right and wrong. Because guess what? Whatever is, just is. The chemistry's working out, <laughs> right? If it's all materialistic, uh, the, um, random chance evolution, then it's a machine. And everything just does what it does. Okay? Now, I'll hang on to that. We're going to get to that. Okay? So there is no objective right and wrong anymore because you can't call something right or something wrong. It just is. Okay? Uh, there is no ultimate purpose or meaning if there is no God because it's just stuff doing what Stuff does, and by that's the way you, you and I are. We're stuff, just doing what stuff does. 
Right now, I'm purely a chemical reaction that's taking place, that's causing certain things to move, which is causing the air to vibrate, which is causing your ears to vibrate, which is causing chemical reactions in your brain. And by the way, those, that's part of what's going on. But they say that's all that's going on. See, it just doesn't work. There, there's no purpose. There, there's no reason to value human beings, for sure. Why would you value a human being or anything else? We're just the, the same atomic structure, chemical structure, right? It's everything else. And, and then there's no reason for anything except self-gratification. Why don't I just do what feels good to me? So, if I want to get involved in child sex trafficking, why not? I want to torture someone and murder them. Or maybe better, just torture them. And keep them alive. Why not? If, if, if I like your car better than mine and I'm big enough, I'm taking your car. Why not? You understand what I'm saying? There is no basis for morality. There is no right and wrong. There is no purpose. There is no meaning. It is just this, this physical creation and it is what it is. Now, just real quick, does that match life as you experience it? Okay, so right there, see, there's a problem, isn't there? That's what I'm trying to say. If you don't start the right place, then it's hard to make sense of, of life the way it is. Now, the fact that we have a negative list of things if God doesn't exist, that doesn't prove that God exists, right? I mean, it's, it's all part of our process of trying to understand this. But uh, it, that doesn't prove it. But what I want you to see is that I'm, I'm going to show you just a few quotes from some people who have made the assumption that God does not exist. They've thought deeply about this. They've written about it. And, and why they, where it leads them, really. And so let's look at, at uh, not a preacher like me, but someone else who's saying these things. Uh, Aldous Huxley, a philosopher who wrote many things about this kind of stuff. But he said this, he said, there is no valid reason why he, he's talking about a philosopher looking at these things, there's no valid reason why he personally should not do as he wants to do. He says, there was one admirably simple method of justifying ourselves and our political and erotic revolt. And we want to throw off the politics, the gun the way it is, and we also want to do what we want in the area of sexual morality. He says, the thing that enables that is we could deny that the world had any meaning whatsoever. Because if the world has no meaning whatsoever, then anything goes, doesn't it? Okay? All right? Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, uh, who was an existentialist. Existentialism, very simply, is this idea of all that we know for sure is that we exist. And there's no meaning, and we have to make me our own meaning, and, and this kind of thing. And he says this. The existentialist, on the contrary, thinks it very distressing that God does not exist, because all possibility of finding values disappears along with him. Indeed, everything is permissible if God does not exist, okay? Now, back in the 70s, 
The Vietnam War was, it was at its height and, and then was about to come to an end and a lot of argument over what was going on in Vietnam. Just as always, right, there are people, innocent civilians who get injured, killed in war, and there was discussion about this. But there was a recognition that there's a problem in the, uh, the philosophy and that was beginning to undergird our society is how do we even arrive at the conclusion that that's wrong? Because if we aren't saying in the beginning, God, how do we conclude it's wrong? And so uh, a man named uh, Arthur Leff wrote in the Virginia Law Review in, in 1974, he said, I will put the current situation as sharply as possible. There's today no way of proving that napalming babies is bad, except just by simply asserting it in a louder and louder voice. In other words, we really have no foundation which to say it's wrong, but we can say it's wrong, but the only way we're going to be able to make it happen is we have to get louder and louder, violent. You understand what happens in our society now that we have jettisoned truth, the idea of any objective truth or absolute truths. How do we make decisions now? It used to be in our culture, and we've never been a perfectly Christian culture. Don't, let's don't fool ourselves about that. But there used to be this sense that there were absolute truths. There were things that you could count on. And you could have a discussion about an issue, and we could look at these truths together. Okay, human beings are valuable. They should be treated with respect. We had these kinds of truths. There was a foundation for them because in the beginning, God. But now we don't have that foundation. And so if I don't think a life is valuable and enough of us don't think a life is valuable, we can do whatever we want. And if we're gonna, how are we going to make a decision talking about this? What's going to happen is whoever has the most power will make the decision. You see what that starts to do? Can you see this happening in our culture? Sure, we're seeing that more and more of what's going on. All right? So it really, really doesn't matter. And I want you to see this, that uh, when we say that, you know, it's not in the beginning God, we don't start with God, and he's not part of the equation, and we aren't thinking about, you know, what does God say about this kind of thing. In other words, we, we remove God from all of our thinking. Here's the way the Bible talks about that in Psalm number 10. It says, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. And so when we remove God from the thinking, we end up with wickedness. And we're seeing that. We see it in our culture. And then in Psalm 14, it starts off, and I think it's, we can see how this makes sense, that the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is a foolish thing. Especially as we continue to look at it and say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense. This doesn't explain. This doesn't work. But we're going to hang on to it anyway. Doesn't that sound foolish? See, the fool is the one who says in his heart. And I want you to notice something there. You know, not every time that the scripture has words, specific words, you know, is it hugely significant because sometimes other words would have said the same thing. But when it says here, the fool has said in his, what? Heart. 
there is no God. Not in his intellect. Not in his brain, his mind. But in his heart. And, and so the Bible reveals to us that this idea of no God is not an intellectual problem. It's a heart problem. In fact, I would say to you that anyone who sincerely wants to know whether God exists can find out. Go ahead and go to that if you would, Anthony. If, you, if someone sincerely wants to know if God exists, they can find out. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Now, it's not saying it's going to answer every question that they have, but they can come to a conclusion about the existence of God. Romans chapter 1. Verse number 18. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. So it's not that there's no truth available, it's what? It's suppressed. And, and this is not like, oh, there's some big conspiracy out there to suppress the truth. I mean, Satan is behind that effort all the time, so that's kind of a conspiracy. But I'm, not, I'm talking about the idea is individuals do this. You and I do this sometimes. I mean, I think if we'll really be honest with ourselves before God, we will look in our lives and see that there are things in our lives that we know to be true, but we just kind of push it away because we don't want to deal with it right now. That's the same kind of thing that's going on here. Verse 19, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. All right, so the scriptures tells us that it is evident, that there are things evident is that, and I would say it this way, that only makes sense if there is a God and if he's the God of the Bible. That, that's the only way things make sense. Now, as I look around here today, most of you appear to be conscious. <laughs> Occasionally when I'm preaching, I notice someone who appears to be unconscious. Probably my fault. But the fact that you are conscious, I mean, if you mix, you take water, pure spring water or filtered water, and then you take salt and, and you put the salt in the water and you mix it up, you end up with what? Salty water. And now, is it conscious, is salty water conscious that it is now salty water? No, it's just water, right? Salt water, salty water. But here you and I are today. We're consciousness. How do we get to that? From a totally materialistic, random chance. I've been trying to read. Because I'm, I'm intrigued by the fact that there are people out there who hold to know God and try to explain consciousness. And I start reading it and go, huh? These guys are loony. 
And actually, they're very intelligent. Don't misunderstand me, but I'm, I'm, I'm saying that it is clear enough to me as I read. It's not just because I can't understand it, but they say this leads to this, 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 and there is no way. Just a practical, normal person would say that can't be. Okay, so the idea is we can't explain it. And so the, God has made things in such a way that even the fact that we are conscious and aware, even the fact that we can consider is there a God or not, is evidence that there is a God. And if, you know, if you're here today and you find yourself struggling to believe that there's a God, you aren't sure about that, and you aren't sure why, you aren't sure what the evidence is, or you're watching, you know, you're feeling that way, you're listening later, um, I get it. I do get it, especially where we have lived, where we have grown up, what our culture is, what we have been told. I understand that, okay? And that's not a wrong place to be if that's where you're at. But I'd love to have a conversation with you. Because I've thought a lot about these things over the years. When I was a 19-year-old young man in college and not only does God exist, you know, did Jesus Christ, I mean, all these questions and things. And, and I learned a lot of things that really helped me to make sense of these things. So we'd love to help you with that and to talk to you, have a conversation, okay? Open about that. So the fact that anything exists at all asks, begs the question, where did it come from? And I, I just got to stop because there's so many things to talk about here, all right? The fact of the matter is, is that you can know God exists if you want to know, all right? And there's the, we can look at reasons why that is. So that's kind of the introduction to this whole sermon series uh, for five, five sermons here, this idea of in the beginning. I want to focus in now today on the first thing that really comes into play once we start to say in the beginning God that helps us to make sense of some things. And so I've entitled this sermon, In the Beginning, Two Uses. That's bad grammar probably, isn't it? <laughs> Two Uses. Let's take our Bibles again and go back to Genesis 1 again. So we read in the beginning God, he created, and it tells us the, the different days and different things that he created. <clears throat> and um, Next Sunday, we're going to talk about, are those days literal? Do we really have to believe that literally? We're going to talk about that next week. But it goes through and, and tells us about all the things that, that God created. And it gets down to the end in verse 26 of chapter 1. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Before I read the rest of it, did you see it there? Then God said, let us. Us. Okay. So this is right in the beginning chapter of Genesis, something that it will help us to understand, at least to um, have a general comprehension of what the Bible reveals to us, and that that there is one God, absolutely one God, but somehow one God exists as three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and have from when? Since when? This didn't happen when Jesus came in the world. From the beginning, God is an us. Also a he, a person. Okay? So that's the first us. 
And, and so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And as we go through the rest of Scripture, that is revealed and we see it clearly. Uh, they are, are all three equally God. They are together one God, three distinct persons. Okay, so verse 26. Then God said, let us make who? Let us make man. That's the second. Us. This is us. Okay? All right, so God making us. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Wow, we are made like God. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male, him, man. Male and female, he created them. That's right there when God is talking about his image. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so he creates man. Verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made and indeed it was very good. Human beings made in the image of God and the likeness of God very good. A good thing. And so, this is important for us to understand because guess what? This affects what, we, what it means to be a human. This affects what it means to interact with other human beings. It affects so many things. Our thoughts, our beliefs, our actions, our motives, our methods, all of these things affected by this idea that we were made in the image of God. And before I go any farther, let me say, we know the story, right? We know that sin comes into the world, and we know that it affects so many things negatively. It affects the image of God in us, but it doesn't take away the image of God in us. So this is enduring. All right, so some conclusions here about this. That First is that we were made to be like God. Wow. That's something. Uh, now, theologians talking about this, uh, Christians say, what does it mean to be made in the image of God? It's hard to nail it down because there's no one place in the Bible where God says, here's what this means. We pick it up as we go through and we see what God is like and we see what human beings are like in the scripture and all that kind of stuff. We were made to be like God, but it's talking about our basic nature as human beings. And so I believe that it includes these things for sure. In our nature, we are spiritual beings. In the very beginning, God, you know, he makes life, he makes all this life. And then when he goes to make man, he breathes into man the breath of life. I, I believe this is a spiritual thing. We are spiritual beings. We have souls. We live in a body. We are ultimately spiritual beings. We are self-aware. We already talked about that a little bit, right? Uh, are rocks self-aware? I don't think so. Human beings are self-aware. Even animals that God has made in there so special, and the Bible even refers to them as having souls, and, and at one point spirit, the idea of their life. 
and, and, and some animals can, you know, they, they seem to have feelings and all this kind of stuff, but we do not see animals being self-aware, aware of their own existence and why am I here and all this kind of stuff. By the way, what a blessing it is that animals can emote and connect with us, isn't it? God did an awesome thing there. All right, we are self-aware, purposeful. Purposeful in the sense of we seek purpose, don't we? We want to know what's the purpose, what's the meaning? And by the way, this is innate to us as, as human beings because, you know, our kids learn the word oftentimes mine early on. They learn the word no from us and they tell it back to us. They learn, but one of their early words is why? Okay, well, you have to go this, why, right? And sometimes that's just, it's just, just to push back a rebellious word, but the reality is, is that we as human beings are beings that ask why. Purposeful, meaning, that's, that's part of who we are. We are rational, sometimes. <laughs> We're always rational. And we, sometimes we rationalize things with the idea of to be, be able to reason from one point to another point, and once again, we look for that. And that's one of the things that tells us right off something isn't right when, wait a minute, this isn't logical, this does not follow this, you know, that, that causes a problem for us, and we gotta try to figure it out, okay? We are free beings, in other words, the sense we can make choices. We can choose to do this or that. We can choose to believe or not believe. We are free. We are social beings. Now, we have different levels of social that we like, some of us like a little bit of social once in a while, and some of us feel like we're dying if we aren't social all the time. Okay, those extremes, but we are social beings. We need people, okay? We are moral beings. We may not always agree on what's right or wrong, but we all think there's something that's right and there's something that's wrong. And we might define it for different reasons, but we still feel it's, it's right or wrong, okay? You might think, somebody say, well, I don't think stealing's wrong until someone takes their stuff. <laughs> right? I mean, okay, so, but we are moral beings. We have this sense. We, we know this because God wrote his basic laws in our hearts as human beings. So we have this sense of right and wrong. We, how did this get in the list? Male and female. In our nature. Now, we're not talking about a physical image. Jesus made that real clear in John chapter 4 when he's talking to the woman at the well. He said, God is a spirit. He's not a physical being. He took on a physical body when, when the Son of God came to earth. But he's not a physical being. So this isn't a physical image, and yet there's male and female in this. Because it's right there when he says, he made them in the image of God, male and female. This tells us that there is something more to being male and female than just physical, okay? There's a soul part of being male, soul part of being female, and these things overlap. I'm not even gonna try to, I'm not gonna dig into jumping the middle of this one and try to tell you, <laughs> this is male, this is female, because there is overlap, but there is a sense in which that as a man, when I am being a man in submission to God, acting like a man, and ladies, you, whatever that means, you know what that means. Being a man, that I'm showing forth the image of God in some way. And ladies, when you are being feminine, 
And however that plays out in any particular given situation, but understand that, that you're portraying the image of God because there are aspects of God that are feminine in nature. There are aspects of God that are masculine in nature. And it takes both to try to portray the image of God. All right, so all these things, we were made to be like God. Secondly, we were made to be like God in our world. Okay, so the idea, he says, okay, we're making you in our image and because, here's your assignment, you are to exercise dominion over creation. I am entrusting creation to you. You, you are the steward of creation. And, and I want, God's saying, we, I want you to exercise this care over creation on my behalf, the way I would. See, in the image of God, in his likeness. And so what does that mean, you know, when we look at creation? I mean, has anybody ever heard you know, or felt like there are people who take environmentalism so far that it's like, that's crazy, right? Should Christians be good environmentalists? Yeah, I mean, it depends what that word means to you, but yes. We should be managing creation in a way that cares for creation, in a way that helps to sustain creation. But that creation is not the most important thing. Us doing what God wants us to do is the most important thing. And so creation is subservient to that. We do exercise dominion over it. By the way, can you start to see, and I probably will say it later, but can you start to see that how what you believe about these things in the beginning, where we came from, what's going on, start to affect how we look at things today, how we look at, because if there's no God and, and creation is all there is and we need it to stay alive, it becomes more important than anything else, doesn't it? More important than people. But see, we go to the scripture and we see, no, we should care for creation, but it's not more important than people. Okay, so we are to exercise, I mean, we're to exercise, well, let's, um, let me just press on here. So let's talk about that. So we're getting it. We see in the beginning God. Okay, that matters. We're seeing that we're made in the likeness of God, that that matters. So let's talk about what difference does it make that we are made in the likeness of God. What difference does made in God's image make? Well, here's where it really starts to get practical. Before, before I go to the point there, let me ask you. If we say no God... And it's just a material universe. That's all there is. And it's just all working together somehow or other with the, the, you can't really say laws of nature because guess what? If there's a law, somebody made the law. It just is what it is, right? I don't know how else to say that. It gets hard because guess what? It's not logical. All right. But so it just is what it is. And so you and I are just, we're no different. You and I are no different than that uh, slug, than the mosquito, than anything else in that way of viewing the world. Humans have no value. Okay. But, so what difference does being made in God's image make? Well, it means every human being is equally valuable. Every human being is equally valuable. When we understand this, we understand that there is no justification whatsoever for racism. There's no justification for racism. There's no justification for sexism. 
There's no justification for any of those isms that devalue one person over another. Now, we say we know this, but obviously we know in our own lives we can still struggle there. We gotta grow in this. But the point is we have a reason to grow in it and to do better in it. Um, but I want to say to you that the people who reject God and, as the standard and his standards, if, if we're talking about materialistic, random chance, evolution, I can justify racism all day long. Because your race is a threat to my survival. See what I'm saying? I can justify that. I can justify killing unborn children. Because people aren't valuable. The only thing that's valuable is my survival and my pleasure. Boy, that gets nasty in a hurry, doesn't it? All right, so every human being is equally valuable. Secondly, what we do with our lives really matters. Because God created in his image for his eternal purposes. And then we have a part to play in that. And just as I've said, you know, we're, we're male and female, but we're also each individual. And I, I referenced this a couple weeks ago, I think, but we're each of us as individuals created in God's foreknowledge and, uh, to reflect something about him. This means that every person I meet, there's something about God I can learn from them even if they don't believe in him. I have something about God I can be reminded of. Every person I meet, God so loved that he sent his son to die for. You see, this changes when you understand that what God has done with us, what his purposes and plans are for us. Right, so what differences make in, in God's image here? Some practical matters. First, is, that means that we should live in ways that are consistent with his image in us. Okay? Uh, we should... I don't need to elaborate. The idea is if we're made in the image of God, the whole rest of the book applies, doesn't it? Yes. Okay, so we need to learn to live that way. Okay? Interpersonal matters. We need to interact with people in a way that expresses God's likeness to them. And when I interact with people, I ought to be living in such a way that whether they recognize it as such, but that they observe the likeness of God. And so that's going to affect the decisions I make, isn't it? It's going to affect how I treat people. Second thing in interpersonal matters, you're going to value other people's expressions of God's likeness to us in the world. And I already kind of talked about that. Every person you meet. Man, do you see that your life starts to, things are a lot more significant than maybe you realized yesterday? I mean, maybe you already knew this and thought about it, but life is significant. And then you need to see people as having genuine, intrinsic value. Human beings are valuable made in the image of God. So valuable that God was willing to do what he had to do to redeem them. And then in spiritual matters, if we're made in the image of God, we, we should be involved helping people to know Christ because what I haven't really talked much about is the impact of sin. Sin has hurt us all, hurt us all deeply. 
It's wounded us. If we've come to Christ, then thankfully, spiritually, we've been changed and he's changing us, the rest of us. He's working on us. He's restoring. He's, he's, he's cleaning off the image. <laughs> right? And so we need to help other people experience that same thing. And I would say to you that if you're here today or you're watching or you're listening at a later time and you have never received Christ as Savior, you're made in the image of God, but man, you're never going to experience what that could be or what it's supposed to be until you receive Christ as Savior because your sin is an obstacle. Your sin keeps you from having a relationship with God, which is why you need to receive Christ because he died for your sins, paid the penalty for your sins, so you wouldn't have to, rose again from the dead. And so when we would just acknowledge that and for ourselves make that personal decision, I receive Jesus as my Savior. Just believe and receive him. That at that point, the restoration process for the image of God begins. And boy, is it good. Boy, is it good. Three takeaways, which I don't think I'll have to elaborate much on. First one is this. Don't live like an atheist. An atheist lives as though there is no God. Every now and then I get upset with myself. I said, I just lived for the last three hours like there was no God. And it isn't always that I've been doing terrible stuff. I just realized. And so one of my prayers, daily prayers, God help me to be mindful of your presence in me. And remember that. I don't want to live like an atheist. <laughs> okay. Be passionate about knowing what God is like so you can passionately live in his likeness. If you're going to live, demonstrate the likeness of God, you kind of need to know what that is, right? Be passionate about that. And then view every person as eternally significant, including yourself. And so sometimes for some of us, that's the hardest one to get over. You are eternally significant, and so is every other person you will ever meet. This is big stuff, isn't it? Life just got extremely significant. No longer just bumping along, oh well. No, man, I'm surrounded by people made in the image of God. And I have a role to play in bringing the world under his dominion. Nowadays, that includes through the gospel. And, and we're going to start, stop there. Father, thank you for these truths from your word. I pray that you'd help us to grasp them and to, to grow in them and understand so that we might understand what your intent is for us and, and, and why we are about the things that we are to be about from your word. And, and Father, I pray especially that you would just so lift the value of other people in our eyes in our hearts. And so we would be so burdened, Father, for them to, to know you as we know you. Change us, Father, to be more like your son. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So next Sunday, we are going to um, deal with that question about Genesis. Literally? Really? Okay, we're going to talk about that. Have a great week.